passages and turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Samuel and the last chapter, chapter 24. So you might want to turn to 1 Kings. You might find that quicker. 1 Kings and chapter number uh, 1, back up one chapter to the last chapter of 2 Samuel. And Brother Phil, it's good to see you and your family this morning. God bless you, dear folks, and these are dear, dear friends. And popped in on the vacation time. We're glad to see you all always. Turn me up just a little bit, Jerry. I don't know if it's just the pulpit or maybe the same out there. I don't know. But um, thank you. That helps there. Thank you so much. I want to read a little more scripture perhaps than normally we would. So give some context to the story and the text. Our text is found. And um, in fact, let's turn to verse 24 and I'll read the text for you, then jump into the message and uh, do some more reading in the introduction. The Bible said in verse 24, And the king said unto Arana, there's uh, uh, an account of this story in the Chronicles as well, and there the, the name is pronounced Ornan. Uh, and um, the king said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely bad of thee at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of, and here's the phrase, that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Notice that phrase again in verse 24. David spoke of that which doth cost me nothing. He's talking about a sacrifice that he's making. And he said it's expected that a sacrifice should come at great cost. Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. And I want to speak to you on that subject, that which costs me nothing. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit in the next few minutes, communicate the truths that you've laid upon my heart to the hearts of your people and help us to see that our service for Jesus Christ is worthy of sacrifice. And God, I pray that our lives and our minds and would align with eternal values because of the truths we hear this morning and that we apply to our lives. If there's some here today that have never been saved, please help them today to take that greatest of all steps, to step out by faith and trust you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning back at the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 24, I want you to follow with me as I read the story. We won't read all these verses, but enough to describe the setting of our text. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel. Now, if you read the account... In First Chronicles 21, it tells us that uh, Satan provoked David. You have a situation similar to Job's situation where God allowed Satan to tempt Job and God allowed Satan to provoke David in this regard. And David fell for the temptation. It was not God's will for David to sin, but God allowed that temptation to come. And he is going to use it for his purposes the Bible says, verse 2, For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now the Lord thy God added to the people, How many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? So uh, David, King David, has this thought come into his mind, 
something he has not done before as the king. And he says, you know what, I wonder, I wonder how many, I wonder how big we really are. I wonder what, well, how great our nation really is. I wonder how many soldiers we actually have. And he got his chief uh, military officer and he said, Joab, I said, I want you to number the people. This is essentially a a national census. It will take uh, more than nine months to complete. And and, and Joab said, David, David, why why, why are you asking me this? We don't need any of this. Man, let let God multiply us a hundredfold, but let's leave this in the Lord's hands. And David insisted and Job, uh, Joab, excuse me, went on to complete the census down in verse 8. And so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. That's a standing army of 1.3 million. The United States of America right now in 2022 has an active military of 1.4 million with 875 in reserves. So it tells you something about the military might and the strength of the nation of Israel at at, at this time in, in their history. And as soon as David heard those numbers, look what verse 10 says. And David's heart smote him. He was immediately pricked in his conscience. And he knew he had made an awful mistake. After that, he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. Notice that. I have sinned greatly. And that I have done. And now I beseech you, I beg you, Lord, oh Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, look at me for just a moment. There's another grievous sin of David's recorded in the Bible. You remember, he was, he was supposed to be at war, and he wasn't at war. He was up on top of his house, and he, he looked out, it was, in the, it was in the palace. He looked and saw one on top of the house bathing, and he, he shouldn't have been there. He should have been at war at the time when kings go forth to, Bible, uh, to battle, the Bible describes it. And yet he saw a woman, he, he, he lingered. It's not a sin to see something untoward, but it's a sin to linger. It's a sin to go back for a second look. I said, it's a sin to go back for a second look. And David lingered and he took another look and another look and he began to lust. And then he used his position of power to call her to the palace. And, 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 a, and an illegitimate child was conceived from the union that followed. He then followed up that grievous sin by, by calling her husband home from battle. He uh, Uriah was fulfilling his duty and uh, David called him home from battle. He said, I want to report on the battle. And Uriah gave the report. He said, now Uriah, you're a faithful man and you've been loyal to me. He said, why don't you go home and spend the night with your wife and, and rest a little bit and then I'll send you back to, to, to battle. And Uriah, who was a leader, who was one of the military leaders, he laid outside the palace steps that night. David found out and asked the next day, he said, he said uh, Uriah, what you there for? He said, how am I going to go out? How am I going to go home and enjoy the comforts of my home when my men are sleeping in tents? I can't do that. He was he was loyal. David tried again and to no avail. And finally, he sent by the hand of Uriah, unbeknownst to Uriah, sealed death sentence. He said in that letter, he said, Uriah, you give this to Joab, and Joab, I want you to uh, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. And I want you to withdraw the troops, unbeknownst to him, withdraw the troops and leave him exposed. He'll surely be killed. But don't worry, people die in battle. The hands of God is on this. 
And it's one thing to do something sinister. It's another thing to spiritualize it. Shows you how far David's heart had gotten from God. I read that story, and sure enough, Uriah was killed, and David was a murderer as much as if he had slit Uriah's throat with a knife by his own hands. He's responsible for his death. And so here David, he commits adultery, and then he commits murder, and he tries to cover up his tracks. The Bible says uh, a, a, a son was born from that, and, 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 and God took the life of that son in judgment against David. And by the way, that son didn't suffer. That son had grown up in heaven. Amen. But David finally was exposed. Then God came to David, and David humbled himself, and he confessed his sin. You know, now when I think about sins in David's life, and I think about his committing adultery and having a man killed, I think about a grievous sin. Here I read about a sin. And what was his sin? This was his sin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Wait a minute. By the time we finish with this story, you will see that 70,000 people died of a plague because of David's sin. You say, Pastor, what in the world? Why? Why? I mean, David committed, he committed adultery, committed murder, and an innocent child died as a result of his sin. But, 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 but here he, he, he numbers the people. He numbers the people and it's, it's 70,000 have to die. How is this just? Where, where, where's justice in this? And let me tell you something, my dear friend. The sin of David. As the leader of God's people was this. He decided to calculate his wisdom, his power, his might, the might of his nation. But that is not how David got where he was. David did no calculations when it came to suit up and with a, oh, five smooth stones and a sling to face off the giant Goliath. Uh, David made no calculations when it was time as a teenage lad to lead a ragtag Israeli army after their arch enemies, the Philistines. And when they defeated the Hivites and all those other ungodly uh, hordes, he didn't count on the arm of flesh. He cried out to God and said, God, I'm just a kid. I can't do this, will you? Help me to accomplish your will. And God had anointed and used David because of his faith in God. Now, David's at a place. He said, I think I can calculate from here. Thank you, Lord, and everything. Well, I believe we got this. We got 1.3 million soldiers. And God said, let me show you how quickly I can weaken your nation. A pestilence swept through. Look at it. In verse number, uh, verse number uh, 11, for when David was up in the morning, David already, as soon as he sinned, he felt the guilt and shame. When David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came into the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus said the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in the land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence, disease in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. God allowed David to choose his own punishment. He said, David, you can choose one of three things. You can choose seven years of famine. It won't rain and people end up starving to death. Much of your, uh, most of the animals will die. You can suffer seven years of famine or you can suffer three months. Military destruction. David had established himself. The Bible said the fear of God was on all the nations. The fear of David, excuse me, was on all the nations. They feared this man that God had used. 
He said, you can be defeated by your enemies for three months or three days. I'll send a, a plague, a pestilence, a disease, if you will. And David said this. He said, I'd rather fall into the hands of a merciful God than my enemies. And he chose that. Verse 16 said, when the angel of the Lord, uh, angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil. Into verse 15 mentions the 70,000 men that died. 70,000 individuals lost their life because of David's sin. And the plague was just about to move into, swept across the nation. And it was just about to move into the city of Jerusalem where David was. And God said, stop right there. Stop right there. And the plague stopped. David in verse number, in verse number uh, uh, 16 and when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. That's where this angel of death stopped at the bidding of the Lord. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw that the angel smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. And I have done wickedly. But these sheep, the people, what have they done? Let that hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord. That's the man of God, his prophet. Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arana said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said unto David, Let my lord the king take an offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be uh, oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. And all these things did Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Arana, Nay. But I will surely buy it of thee at a price. I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I burn, offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. I want you to see several things in, in, in introductory thoughts. As soon as David realized what he had done and wanted to be in a right standing with his God, the first thing he did was honest with himself. Way back in verse number 10, he said, I've, I've been a fool. I've, as soon as Joab came with the report, he said, we have so many tens of thousands in this tribe and several hundred thousand in this tribe and gave the numbers. They gave the numbers, the total, grand total, 1.3 million. And what David was planning to do was like, oh man, this is awesome. Look at us. And immediately his heart was smitten. And he became honest with himself and with his God. He said, I've done very foolishly and I've sinned greatly. The second thing that he did was that he submitted to God's chastisement. When the man of God came to him and said, you've sinned and you've got punishment, David said, and I deserve it. I deserve it. He submitted to God's chastisement. And then the third thing he did in verse number 17 is he understood the devastation his sin had caused. 
He says in verse 17, uh, he said, uh, when David spake unto the Lord, when he saw the angel uh, uh, that uh, smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? It's not their fault, it's my fault. It's my fault. Thursday night camp. The service, if you were here Wednesday night, the service Thursday night was much like the service here Wednesday night. And I, I, I thought the service was over. I would, would sing final song and close the service. And then someone would come forward and someone would give a testimony and just on and on and on and on it went. I want to be careful how I say this, but this needs to be said to our church family. What, what, what happened on Thursday night in that camp service was a raw emotion. Kids opened their hearts. And I promise you what happened Thursday night is God saved many souls. I'm not talking about eternal salvation. God saved many souls from a life of bitterness. That's what happened Thursday night. Young people's hearts were open and the tears were coursing down their cheeks. And they were embracing and praying together at the altar and crying, weeping out loud. Some of them, some of them heaving and groaning in prayer and pouring their heart out to, to God. But what happened in that service is one young person became transparent, then another, then another. Kids would stand up and say, I'm so sorry to my teachers for the way I treated you. Mr. Principal, I'm sorry. You tried so much to help me, but I've been so angry. And they would enumerate their hurts in their lives. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about throwing people under the bus. It's not what happened. But they spoke enough about their hurts to realize that most of their hurts were not of their own making. They were the results of decisions that others made in their lives over which they had no choice. But they were reaping the consequences. And by the sweet grace of God, many of those young people poured their soul out before the Lord and before their peers. And I'll tell you something, it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And I'm so glad, young people, may all of us the Bible said, when my heart is overwhelmed, leave me to the rock that is higher than I. God will never punish you for opening your soul to Him and pouring out your soul to Him. God will never do it. He'll not do it. God welcomes such. And that night, many, many, many came and opened their heart and soul. But can I tell you something? What David realized here in verse number 17, he said, Lord, it's not the sheep's fault. They're paying the price It was my sin. It was me. It was my pride. It was my lack of faith. And now the sheep are suffering. David understood the devastation that his sin had caused others. It's what Ruth said. Excuse me, it's what Naomi said to Ruth. To her daughters-in-law before she went back home. Her husband, she left the will of God with her husband... And, uh, and Elkanah, and they were gone for 10 years. Her husband died. She became a widow. 
her sons, her two sons died. And she was left devastated herself and two daughters-in-law. And she finally realized, i got to get back in God's will. I've, I've run from God long enough. And i got to get back. And she looked at her daughters-in-law, and this is what she said. This is what she said. She said, I am grieved for your sakes. She had a lot to grieve over. She was a, she was a widow. She lost her two sons. She missed out on... There was a famine back home, but God miraculously provided for His people. They saw miracles of provision, and she missed out on the miracles because she's out of God's will. And she looked at her daughters-in-law. She had so much to grieve over. But she said, let me tell you what hurts me the most. She said, it hurts me that my sin has ill-affected your lives. She said, I've got to get right. Both of them said, we're going with you. She talked the one daughter-in-law out of it. She said, no, stay here with your people. She tried to talk Ruth out of it and said, where you go, I'm going. Where thou liest, I will lie. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Amen. Amen. Though she wasn't the Christian she ought to be, still she had some influence and she used it for good and for God. David realized the devastation his sin has caused. And then lastly, he made the sacrifice. He made the sacrifice. He made the sacrifice. Now, Ornan, the Second Chronicles pronunciation of his name, I'll use Ornan, it's a little easier to say. Ornan looked at this situation and he had a farm and it was in an elevated place and, and there uh, uh, outside the, the city of Jerusalem and, and uh, David went to this place and he said, I, 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 he, he didn't want to go, to, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was elsewhere, but it was disease-ridden. And he, he said, I'm not going there. The disease had stopped right at the city of Jerusalem. And the people in that city where David was had been spared. David said, I can't, I can't go. He said, i got to sacrifice. He said, i got to find a place to sacrifice. And the Lord led him to, this, uh, uh, to Ornon. And he had a farm there. And it had an elevated place and where he would uh, thresh the wheat. And the wind would cut across the top of the, uh, uh, of, of the hilltops. And, and they would thresh the wheat there. And he said, this is where I'm going to sacrifice to my God. And he said, Ornon, let me buy this plot of land. And uh, Ornon said, what, what, what do you need it for? He said, I'm going to sacrifice to my God. And, and he says, my sin that's caused this devastation. I want to get right with him and be in a good standing with God. And I want to be in, in God's will again. And I, I want God's favor on my life again and on our nation. And I've got to sacrifice. I've got to sacrifice. And Ornon, as well, listen to me carefully, as well-meaning as he was, was absolutely wrong. For he said to David, he said, David, I tell you what, man, alive, you want to, you want to, you want to be in a right standing with God and you want to sacrifice to God and you want the nation to have God's favor? Oh, this is wonderful. Listen, let me just give you this plot of land. Let me, in fact, I got oxen over here. I'll give you the animals to sacrifice. Sure, go ahead. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to purchase them. No, no, just take it. And David said this, how can I give a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing? My dear friend, listen to me very carefully. The sin of this nation, the sin of this prosperous nation, the sin of this free nation is the worship of convenience and pleasure. We build our lives around it. We spend our money on it. I don't know what you spent your money on this week, but I promise you, whatever it was, it was probably something to make you a little more comfortable. You know what? I was a, And by the way, if we complain, you know what we complain about? We, claim, we complain about discomfort. Yeah, it's hot in here. 
does, does, it get, does it get hot, Brother Justice, does it get hot in your home country? Yeah. <laughs> we don't really know about hot. Does it get hot in Ghana? Okay. <laughs> now, wait a minute. If we complain, here's what we complain about. We get in the car and turn it on. Oh, man, my heated steering wheel's not working. <laughs> we're, so, we're so blessed. <laughs> and we come at, with expectations that our life some, somehow should, should be comfortable. The path should be easy for us. But David recognized the spiritual truth. Listen to me. I want you to apply it to your life. David said, how can I give my all for Christ? How can I have His favor on my life? How can I be in a right standing with God? How can my nation have the blessing of God and it not cost me something? I submit to you, my dear friend, that it will cost you something to be in a right standing with your God. Let me tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not cheap. It's not cheap. It cost God the Father, His only begotten Son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It cost the Son of God His own life. John 10, 17, 18 said they didn't take His life. He gave it freely. He laid down His life for us. He cost Jesus' His life. And it will cost us everything if we choose to follow Jesus Christ with our lives. Let me tell you something. Listen, the bar is set high. The bar is set high. The the sacrifice of Jesus Christ demands from you and I more than just a, a, a little cursory. Well, I'm a Christian, I, I, you know. I'm a believer, and I I, I'm, I I I have a church, you know. I can't remember the name of it, but I have a church, and uh, and uh, 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 and my pastor is uh, 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 he's a good guy. I can't think of his name right now. Listen, Christ deserves more. He deserves more. He gave his all. He gave his all. He deserves our all. I'm going to give you some lessons this morning. Jesus demands a lot from us, but He has a right to. He says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Wait a minute. What? That's a question mark behind that word. In letter to the Corinth. What? What? You don't know this? What? Know you not that your body, your hands, your feet... Your eyes, your tongue, your ears, your mind, your physical strength, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. What? You don't know that? Which is in you, that's the Spirit of God is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Listen, my body doesn't belong to me and your body doesn't belong to you. This devilish, hellish philosophy says, my body, my choice, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. It's straight out of hell. No, sir. You were made in the image of God. You are God's creation. You're not an advanced amoeba. Your great-grandpa is not a monkey. You were made in the image of God. And if you have been, you're made by God's right. He has a right to us because He created us. If you've been redeemed, He has a second right to you. And that is He redeemed you. He paid a price for you. And that price was the blood of His own Son. You have no right to live your life as you so choose. You have no right to go your own way. You have no right 
right to decide your future. You have but one right, and that is to submit fully and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ who purchased you with His own blood and say, here's my life. But what's He going to ask of me? A lot. A lot. Sacrifice requires a price to be paid. What is the cost, Pastor? Self-denial. Jesus said it time and again in the New Testament. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. That's what we don't want to do. We don't want to say no. The whole, the rage, why? Our Supreme Court said this last week, there is no constitutional right guaranteed in the Constitution. And it's not in there. Just read it. It's not in there. You have a right to kill your baby. That's not in the Constitution. And finally, they said, that's not in the Constitution. And what happens? We have people raging in the streets. Let me tell you why. Because we, there is an element of, it's in my human nature, it's in your human nature too, but we see it in its brazen insidiousness right now. We, how dare you limit us? We want to be able to do whatever we want to do with anybody we want to do it with, and we don't want to be inconvenienced. And that requires them to be able to kill their own offspring after they fornicate so they won't be inconvenienced. You can say amen if you want to. Self-denial. What does it mean? It means you say no. No, no. You say no to yourself. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to say no. No to sin. Notice that's what Joseph did when he fled from Potiphar's wife. That's what Daniel did when they said, here, drink this. And he said, I I can't eat that. I can't drink that. No, I belong to God and I'm not going to do that. Self-denial. It means not only saying no to sin, it also means saying no to weights. Hebrews 12.1 Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Weights and sins. And let us run with patience the race... That is set before us. Let's run cheerfully. The race set before us is what the word means. Run with patience, cheerful endurance. The race that's set before us. How do you do that? You do that by laying aside sin and laying aside weights. How many of you guys, somewhere along the line, uh, used ankle weights? Used ankle weights training back in the day. All right. You put your ankle weights on. You know, it's supposed to you be able to run faster and jump higher. Now, now wait a minute. You put those ankle weights on, and I had some ankle weights, you know. And when you take them off, it just it almost feels like you can fly. Your steps are so light. Now, wait a minute. Who would think of, of stepping up uh, to the starting line and the gun goes off and you're in your foot race and you didn't take your weights off? Now, wait a minute. Uh, is, it, would it be a sin to wear ankle weights in a race? No, it would be a sin, but it sure would be foolish. It sure would keep you from running a race effectively for Jesus Christ. You with me? You with me? Self-denial doesn't mean just saying no to booze and no to dope and no to uh, illicit behavior. It means saying no to some things that in and of themselves are not sinful, but they hinder us from being all out for Jesus Christ. I told you this before. I knocked on the door of a man on my road where I live. Seven years ago, we moved over there and started to meet somebody there. And invited a man to church. He said, yeah, I used to go to church. He used to go to Baptist church. And he said, we used to go all the time. He said, but he said, I'm a, he was a retired police officer. And uh, he said, but I, he said, I, 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 we're, we're busy on the weekends now. I said, oh, okay. Right. He said, yeah. He said, we, we teach, my wife and I, we teach mounted archery. And I thought, mounted archery, that's going to be one thing. I said, is that like getting on a horse, shooting a bow and arrow? He said, yeah, exactly what it is. 
And uh, now, can I, can I tell you something? There's nothing sinful about getting on the back of a horse and shooting bows and arrows. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless it keeps you out of the house of God on Sunday. You see, good things become sinful things when they take a place of better things. And many of God's people are so busy with... Not, I'm not saying you're... What are you saying? I'm in sin. I'm telling you this. The Bible said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, you are in sin. That's what God said. Uh, several years ago, I helped conduct a wedding for uh, Caleb and uh, Melanie Harkins. Melanie Hemphill Harkins. And <laughs> we, we stayed in a hotel. And... The hallways in that hotel reeked. It was awful. I mean, it stunk to high heaven. And the reason is because there was some kind of a tournament. I think it was a soccer tournament. And it was a, it was a horde of young people playing soccer all weekend. And I, they were, I think, I don't know how many teams were staying in that hotel. And so when they got done with their games, they would come at night take their cleats off and set them outside of the door. They don't want them. I wouldn't want them sticky things in my room either. They set him in the hallway. When you open the door in the hallway, it was like hit you like, oh, I'd get me a big gulp of air before I left, you know, hold my breath all the way down to the bottom floor, you know. But I, I remember this. I, I'm almost never gone on a weekend. And it was one of those rare occasions. Uh, the wedding was that, that day before, and I was preaching for Brother Hemphill on that Sunday, and um, and and we got we're getting ready to go to church, and and, and of course I'm I'm just like this, you know, I'm in my suit and tie, and I got my Bible under my arm, and we go downstairs, and the breakfast here was full, and families and lots of people, and I just remember walking through. I I, I don't know, but another time in my life, or on a Sunday, I've been in that kind of environment on a Sunday morning. My life is is so programmed. We do the same thing. My, my whole life I've done the same. Before I was born, nine months, my mama carried me to church for nine months before I was born. And my whole life has been Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. My mom and dad kept me in church. I wouldn't know what else to do. If, 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 if I didn't, if, if, I mean, I don't think about it. I'm just pro, and, and I remember going down there and thinking, what are these people doing? Don't they know it's Sunday? Now, wait a minute. I'm not saying a soccer game is sin. But I'm saying, listen to me, if you consider the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, if you consider what He gave to you, and there's something in your soul that says, He deserves my best, that He deserves my all, let me tell you something. If you say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ, that comes with a price. You cannot sacrifice without a cost. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you anything. If your church attendance, if your walk with God, if your seriousness about your Christian life is fit in when it's convenient, then it's not a sacrifice in the eyes of God Almighty. David said, I cannot offer something that costs me nothing. The approval of men, it'll cost you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 10, I think it was. He said, we're fools for Christ's sake. And let me tell you something. The world, the crowd is, is fickle. I remember way, way back when, I've forgotten her name now. That's a, a music, what the world would call a music star. Maybe, oh, Britney Spears. When she was just a kid. Oh, it was all the rage. Oh, wow. Oh, ah. And then... Like so many of those child stars, they get strung out on dope. 
become perverted in their personal lifestyles, all kinds of partners, become disease-ridden. And there came a point in her her young adult life where she was not even capable of taking care of her own children. And her children had to be taken away from her. And oh, how folks turned on her and just began to gobble her up and consume her. Hungering for the spotlight, what does she do? She goes back and does even more deviant things to get attention. Can I I tell you something, my dear friend? If you seek the approval of men for satisfaction in your life, there's no end to that. If you, listen, if you do something stupid to yourself, to your person, to your body, to seek the approval of men, listen, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't defile your body. Don't mark it up. Don't punch it up with a bunch of holes. Somebody say amen. You say, you demeaning me? No, I'm trying to teach you something. That you are made in the image of God. If you took a picture that of me and my wife and you started punching holes in it and marking it up, I would consider that an insult. Why? You mar that image. I'm telling you, you're made in the image of God. Well, people will think I'm some kind of a, a spiritual nutcase. Don't you know, Pastor? It's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. And my point is this. If you are going to live consecrated to Jesus Christ, you will have to sacrifice the approval of men. You have to be willing to be different. You have to be willing to stand apart from the world and conduct your business differently and conduct your life differently and not seek the approval of men. Oh, listen to me. Christ gave His all. He deserves our all. And that costs something. It will cost you the understanding, perhaps even, of your own family. In Acts 7.25, Moses, the Bible said of Moses that he thought his brethren would have understood. He came as a deliverer. He played the vigilante. A man died when he was trying to defend one of his Hebrew brethren from an Egyptian taskmaster. Moses grew up in the palace. He could have had everything that Egypt had to offer. But he said, no, my people are enslaved and it's not right. And I want to I serve my people and I want to help my people. And he played the vigilante. He had good intentions, but he wasn't prepared yet. He did that in his own power, using his own position. And a man died as a result of that. Moses buried him in the sand. The next day, a couple of Hebrews were fighting with each other. And Moses said, come on, guys. I know you got a rough life. Come on, get along with each other. They turned and looked at him and said, what's about you going to kill us too and bury us in the sand? Be sure your sin will find you out. And the Bible says later in the book of Acts, it said, Moses thought that his brethren would have understood. Can I tell you something? If you live for Jesus Christ with all your heart and all your soul, listen... Some of the people closest to you will not understand your level of commitment to Christ. They'll be worried about you. They'll question you. Now you talk to the average person who, who, doesn't, who doesn't believe this Bible to be the Word of God and doesn't hear preaching like you hear. You, you start telling them, say, yeah, I learned the thing about tithe. What is that? Well, we give, uh, we give 10% of uh, everything that, that, that the Lord gives us. We, we give 10% of that back to the Lord. Wait a minute, you say you give money to your church? Well, that's a good thing. And how much do you give? Well, we, 10%. We give 10%. 10%? Aren't you, aren't you struggling right now? What are you doing? Well, I believe the Bible teaches, man, what are you in, a cult or something? <laughs> Can I tell you something? Jesus himself... In Luke 14, 26, 
said, if a man does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, yea, his own children, he can't be my disciple. You said, what? Jesus Christ advocated that we hate our families? Here's the point he was making. Jesus said, your love for me ought to be so great that the next greatest love in your life looks like hate compared to your love for me. It must cost us something. Self-denial, the approval of men being misunderstood by your own family. I think about some of the folks in this room. Mrs. Hamilton's right over here. There was a day when she turned down a four-year scholarship to State University with a year abroad because she said, I believe God's called me to serve Him with my life. Those that loved her said, what are you doing? This is worth tens of thousands of dollars. You don't walk away from this. You can still serve God and do this. And she said, no, I have to do what God's called me to do. She was greatly misunderstood. My dad was an athlete in high school, and he went off to Christian college. His pastor said, what, uh, Randy, why don't you go down to Bob Jones University? You ever thought about going to a Christian college? He said, well, I never really thought about it. He said, well, let's go visit the campus. And so my dad's mom, my grandmother, and pastor took him down there, and boy, he fell in love with the place and said, this is amazing, and came back and, and, and uh, signed up, uh, went to the registrar's uh, office and, and, and applied and signed up right there to make plans to go to, to, to Bob Jones University. And, and uh, the next Monday, uh, he was gone that weekend, and the next he went back to school, and he's, he's walking down the hallway at the school, and the coach said, hey, Randy. He ran, my dad ran track, and, and, uh, and, and the coach said, Randy. He said, I, I, somebody told me you went and visited the campus of Bob Jones University. He said, yeah, I did. He said, well, it was a great experience. He said, now, Randy, you do know that they don't have intercollegiate sports down there. I mean, you know, you know you're know, you not going to go very far in the sports world if you go down there. Just before he left that campus visit, signed the papers and so forth, just before he turned out of that office, the registrar looked at him and said, now, Randy, let me tell you something. The devil does not want you to come to Bob Jones University. He said, okay. When he was in the hallway and his coach said, Now, Randy, you know, something rang in his head. The devil does not want you to go to Bob Jones University. He thought, Ah, that just reminded me. That's where I'm supposed to go because the devil don't want me to go there. He was a member of the student council and the, the teacher that presided over the student council there, sponsored the student council, I guess you said, Miss Lackey, I think her name was. Miss Lackey uh, called my dad after the meeting, said, Randy, can I talk to you for a minute? And uh, so the kids were leaving, and he was there with the teachers. Now, 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 Randy, you know, I heard that you visited the campus of Bob Jones University, and is that true? He, he said, yes, ma'am. Ah, oh, it's a great experience, too. She goes, now, Randy, you do know that's not an accredited university. And in his mind, he said, hmm. I must be on the right track. This is not what the devil wants for me. And can I tell you something? I am so thankful that both of my parents followed God's call, received a Christian education, and raised me and my siblings in a Bible-believing church and spent their life in service for Jesus Christ. And many of you sitting in this room, some of you sitting here would not even be saved if they had not, if that young teenage boy had not made that choice to be misunderstood by those who loved him and cared about him. Oh, listen to me. I'm saying that our life for Jesus Christ deserves sacrifice and that costs you something. It'll cost the approval of men. It'll cost you some comfort. It'll cost you some inconvenience. It'll cost you being misunderstood. But Jesus Christ is worthy. 
He is worthy. Many of you young people this week made some decisions for Christ. I'm thinking of a young man who got called to preach a meaning similar to what we had this week. Got convicted about dirty videos that he had and with ungodly things on them. And he came home, happy, big smile on his face. And mom, mom and dad, it was a great week. I just want to talk to his mom and dad a few minutes. And just, uh, I was amazing. And I made some decisions. I've given my life. I felt like God wants me to be a preacher. I've given my life to serve the Lord. And next thing he did, went in his bedroom, started pulling videos. Got him a plastic bag, started pulling videos off the shelf, throwing them in a plastic bag. His dad and mom walked in and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to be a preacher now. He said, I've given my life to Christ. I want to serve the Lord. He said, man, I can't, I can't look at this stuff anymore and I get rid of it. And his dad, his dad said, son, you listen to me. You will never go back to that church again. And he didn't. And he got out of the will of God. He married a, a Mormon. Who do not believe it's a cult, don't believe Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And I suppose his children are being raised without God. I don't know. I'm just telling you, it's going to cost you something. But Jesus paid a price to purchase our souls, and there's no cost too great to serve him that he could ask of us. Are you willing to pay it? Would you bow your heads, please? Their heads are bowed, eyes are closed.